Well, hey, we are coming to the end of our sermon series in the book of James. We got this week and one week, and I might do a summary sermon at the very end after that, but we're coming to the end. We're at chapter 5, so you can flip your Bibles open, which ought to just pretty much turn there by now, but the end of the book of James. And we're going to look into this letter a couple more times that James wrote to Christians who were suffering. And I think that's really important for us to remember as we look into what we're going to look at today. The group of people that he wrote to specifically were mistreated, they were oppressed, and they were suffering. They lived in a tough political climate where Christianity was being oppressed. And so we don't really have that, but I think it's the direction our culture is going. It's starting a little bit. Um, but it's, it's going that way. And so what James has to say to us in so many areas just speaks, just speaks directly into the life that we have. And, and I think that um, we've been learning a lot from James about how we can live good lives that glorify Jesus, that are blessed, and be effective as Christians right here in our culture that's not, um, quote, a Christian culture. See, a lot of times Christianity was easy in the past in America. You just floated the culture. But now Christianity is go, it goes this way and the culture is going that way. So what James has to say is incredibly relevant to us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the second half of a paragraph that we started last Sunday. Um, and this whole paragraph, this whole section, and I talked to you about paragraphs, I think last Sunday or two Sundays ago, trying to show you how there's, there's collective thoughts that go through and you can see by how your Bible is, is written that this whole paragraph dealing with one thing and this whole paragraph that we're looking at is dealing with the subject of prayer. And last Sunday we looked at what prayer, what he had to say about how do we pray for sick people. And we, we unpacked that last week and said, well, you know, the Bible talks about pray, praying for the sick and we know examples of healing. How do we pray for that? And James is the most clear um, outline in the, all the scriptures on how you would go about the process of praying for someone who is sick. Well, today we're going to look at three more verses and that we're going to deal with the same idea of prayer, um, but not focus just on sick. Um, and, and James here is pretty much focusing on how our prayers can, can be effective. Now, you pray and I pray, right? Don't you want your prayers to be effective? James says it this way, your prayers could accomplish much. Here's what I believe about us. I don't believe we believe our prayers accomplish anything. I honestly believe that. You know how I know that? And this is no, there's zero guilt in what I'm saying right here. That almost none of you show up on the second Saturday of the month when we pray here. And we pray for things in the church, we pray for things in the community. And I, I don't say that again, it's not a guilt. I'm just saying maybe schedule is allowed or you're working or whatever. But here's what I know. If we believe that prayer accomplished much, we would run to prayer. Here I know because if you believe, if you're sick, you know where you run to? The doctor. Why? Because you think the doctor can accomplish much. He gives you a pill, he does something to you, whatever, gives you a shot. And they do. And that's awesome. But James is telling us about prayer, that prayer can accomplish much. And if James can explain that to me and to you, I want to figure out what he has to say. Don't you? I want to figure out what he has to say so that I can say, I want to be a person who when I pray, much is accomplished. Now to help us understand how we can pray effectively and accomplish much, he talks about an Old Testament prophet um, who has a history of praying effectively, and when he prayed, really big things happened. He talks about Elijah. And James 
points out one illustration of a period of time in Elijah's life when he prayed and really big things happened. And so what I want us to do is let's see what James has to say here in James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. In 16, we read last week too, but it's, it, it bridges, we need to bridge this here. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now that's a, that's a guy who accomplishes much in his prayer. He prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years, and he prays again and it rains. And if we just took what James had to say right there and we built our whole theology on prayer based on that, we would conclude that we stink, Elijah's awesome, and it's never going to work for me. But he does something here. He refers to Elijah. And so what he's trying to say is, listen, he just gives a little blurb of three verses referring to Elijah, but but he's saying, listen, use this guy as your model to understand how, how I work through prayer how God works through prayer. And so what I want us to do is I want us to unpack Elijah during that period of time, what happened, and see what we can learn about prayer. And, and what he's referring to is a section of time in Elijah's life um, in 1 Kings from uh, verses 17 to 19. Now, some of you are getting scared right now because it's 1 Kings 17 to 19. You say, oh my goodness, Pastor, are you going to read three chapters out of the Old Testament? I got to be honest with you, I was going to do that today. I really thought of doing the Bible says give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And I honestly thought maybe the best way we could learn this would I just sat here and had some people help me and we read the whole story. But here's what happened. I think if we did that, we might miss some of the key points in the story. So instead of what I'm going to do is I'm going to try my best to summarize that whole section, 1 Kings 17 to 19, um, on how Elijah was his effective prayer and then draw some things out of that that I think are the most important things to help us understand how as we pray, we can pray effectively. So let me summarize by telling you a story, summarize what happened in that three-chapter period of time that's recorded in 1 Kings 17 to 19. Okay? So here's the story of Elijah. He's a prophet. And Elijah receives a message from God. And as a prophet, God spoke to him. And he says this, Elijah, I have a message for you to tell to the king. And the king, remember the king's name? Ahab, tell King Ahab this message. And this was the message that he said. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, this is Elijah speaking to the king, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And that's the message he communicates to the king. And then what's he do? Elijah then, he tells him the message, and then he runs off at God's direction, and he hides in the wilderness next to a brook. The brook's name is Cherith, and he sits by the brook, and he has one of the most amazing encounters any person's ever had in their entire life relating to God. He lives there. We don't know how long, but it's a very long period of time, and he's drinking the water out of the brook because there's a drought in the whole land, and how does he get his food? Ravens. He is the first one who ate roadkill because the ravens, I'm serious, what else could it be? The ravens bring him bread and meat Every morning and every night. Now, either the raven swooped in and stole it out of somebody's somebody's meal, 
or they picked up a rabbit and they brought it to him, and, and, but they also brought bread. And it says, every morning, every night, the ravens brought him food. He drank out of the brook and he ate the food supplied by the ravens as the drought went on. Well, eventually the drought got so bad that the brook dried up. So they didn't do any good for the ravens to bring him food anymore because they could fly to another country and bring him food, but they couldn't get him water anymore. So God tells him, I want you to leave the brook and I want you to go to a town called Zarephath. And he goes there and he meets a widow and he says, the widow's going to take care of you. Now, interestingly, God didn't tell the widow she was supposed to take care of him. So when he comes into Zarephath and he finds the widow, she, you know what she's doing? She is a starving, poor old lady, and, her, and her, she's got a, a son, and she is gathering up a few sticks that are laying on the ground because she wanted to build a fire and take the last little handful of, of flour that she had and the last little couple of drops of oil that she had, and she's going to mix them together, build the fire, make her last little bread cake, and she was going to eat it. She said, we're going to eat it, now we're going to die. She said, there's famine in the land, there's no hope, this is all I got left, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to die. And Elijah says something that's, that it's, it's bold and it seems rude, but God told him to say it. He goes, well, first give me some. So she's a starving old lady and he says to her, I've been, he'd been, eat, been fed by the ravens, living by the brooks. He's probably in pretty good shape. He comes there. She's on the verge of starvation. She's going to eat her last little bit of food. And, and God tells him, tell her I'm going to live with you and she's going to provide for you. And she's got no food. She's got no money. She's got no nothing. She's gathering sticks to make a fire and die. And she goes, okay, I'll make this bread and I'll give it to you. Well, how many of you would do that? You'd go, get out of here, Jackson. I'm not going to give you my food. But she did. She listened. She made the bread. She gave it to him. He ate some. She ate some. And remember what the Lord did? The Lord worked it out that her jar of oil never ran out of oil and her, and her bowl of flour never ran out of flour through the entire drought miraculously somehow, well, maybe God brought ravens and had them put it in there, or maybe God just miraculously multiplied it. It doesn't say, but what it says is that God made her oil never run out and her flour never run out. So Elijah lives with her in an upper room of a house, a bedroom, throughout the rest of the, the, rest of the drought, and she, out of the miraculous oil and flour, makes food, and her and Elijah and her son live in that house. Well, one day while Elijah's there, the widow comes up, hollering and screaming because her son, her only son, had died. And she basically blames Elijah. How dare you come into my house and now my son dies? I want to go, well, you would have been dead a long time ago if you wouldn't have come here. But anyway, she doesn't remember that. And she says, it's your fault, my son died. And Elijah picks up her son, goes up the stairs, lays her on the bed and lays on top of the boy and prays and prays and prays and the boy comes back to life. And he goes and he presents her to the boy, the boy down to his mom. And then, finally, after three and a half years of living like this, the Lord speaks to Elijah and he tells him this, find Ahab and tell him it's going to rain. So he meets with Ahab and Elijah tells him, um, God tells him, before before I'm going to make it rain though, I want you to do something. So Elijah tells Ahab, you go get all the false prophets in the land. 450 prophets of, of Baal, a false god, and 400 prophets of the Asherah pole. You get all them and you meet me on the top of Mount Carmel and I want to do a little business with the prophets. And Elijah challenges the prophets to a, to a challenge. And he says, here's the deal. You guys, here's two oxen. You build an altar 
and you cut up the oxen and you put the oxen on top of the altar and you cry out for your gods, Asherah and, the, and, the, and Baal, to come down in fire and consume the offering on the altar. And so they go, okay, they got 850 of them and they chop up the oxen, they put it on there and they start, describes it. They start using their type of worship. They're dancing, they're singing. It says they're cutting themselves. So it says the blood is gushing out of them and they're crying out and crying out, oh, Baal, come and consume the, consume the fire, consume the, altar, the sacrifice on the altar with fire. And about noon, nothing's happening. And Elijah, I would love to meet Elijah. I can't wait to meet Elijah because he starts mocking them. He goes, oh, Yell, shout louder. Maybe your God went on vacation. Oh, shout louder. Maybe your gods are sleeping. He goes, and he, it says this right in the Bible. Shout louder. Maybe your God is going to the bathroom. He's otherwise occupied. He can't come and, and answer you with fire right now. And they shout, they shout, and they shout, and they finally nothing happens. And it says this, at the hour of prayer, the hour of sacrifice, would have been traditional over sacrifice, rather. Elijah goes and he builds an altar. He takes 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Egypt, and he, of Israel, and he puts the 12 stones up, and he puts wood on there. He takes the oxen and he cuts it into pieces, and he lays it on. And then so that no one can think he did anything phony, you know, fishy, he goes and he says, get water. And imagine this, in a time of drought, he says, bring water. They've got to be like this most precious thing in the world. And he pours, he had dug a trench around the altar. And he pours water over the altar, over the, uh, over the oxen, over the wood. And it's so much water he pours over that it fills the trench up around the altar that's been built. And then Elijah prays. And this is what he prays. I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And fire falls from heaven. It consumes the ox. It consumes the wood. It consumes the rocks. It consumes the water. And it says it even consumed the dust that was there. And Elijah seizes the moment. He says, take all these false prophets, 850, take them out and kill them all for being false prophets. And the people do that. And then Elijah goes up the top of Mount Carmel. And he begins to pray. He sits down. He's got a servant. He sits down. He puts his head between his knees. And he prays for rain. Because God said pray. And he prays. And the servant, he says, go check to see if there's any clouds over the lake. And he goes over the sea. And he checks. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. He comes back another time. He goes, I see a tiny little, little cloud the size of a man's hand. He goes, quick, run. It's going to rain. I hear the sound of, of a mighty rain. And it begins to rain. And it rains and it rains and it rains at, at his prayer. And now you would think this guy is living on a mountaintop, man. He's literally on the mountaintop. And God is doing everything he asks. God, why don't you bring down fire from heaven? Why don't you make it rain? You know, he's a, he's a rock star. Everything he's done, he's praying for. He has effective prayers. And Jezebel, you know who Jezebel is? Jezebel is wicked king, is Ahab's wicked wife. And she finds out what happened. And she says, you know what? Because you killed all those prophets that she wanted, that she followed, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. Now you would think he just stood there face to face with 850 prophets of Baal and he'd go, Jezebel, you are nothing for my God. What's he do? He flees into the wilderness 
He runs and he hides and he prays an honest prayer. He says, God, kill me. I want to die. Fortunately, God wasn't done with Elijah yet, and so he sends an angel to minister to him, and they minister to him and refresh him and feed him, and he's restored, and he goes on with the Lord. Now, that was a long story. That was three chapters in his life, and who knows how long it took, but we know it was over three and a half years. A long story. But it's essential that we heard the whole story today in order to understand why Elijah was so effective in prayer. If we just took a small portion, just what James says, we could misunderstand what James wants us to understand about the effectiveness of the prayer life of Elijah that's supposed to serve as a model for our lives if we want our lives to be effective. So what James says, and what this story teaches, I want to see three things. I think there's three things that are vital for us to understand to be effective in prayer. Three things. You ready? Write them down, I think, because we all want to be prayer, effective prayers. Number one, the first thing that made Elijah effective was this. He was ordinary. You go, oh, it's not what I expected. He was ordinary. James says, very, he makes a point of making a point to say this. He was a man with a nature just like ours. He's saying this. Other translations, your, your Bible's translation, just say he was a regular guy or an ordinary guy. The first thing that once pointed out about Elijah is that he was a regular, ordinary guy. Now, why in the world would James want to point this out to us about Elijah? Because if we read this story like I just explained to you, all the miracles, all the answers to prayer, all the challenging of the false prophets, all the things he did, we could conclude that it's all because he was some kind of super saint. He was unique. God called him out uniquely to do a unique job from him. He was special. He was different. Somehow he was better, and God listened to him, but God doesn't necessarily listen to me. But he wasn't a super saint. He wasn't better. He wasn't different. James goes to point out he wasn't. He was just an ordinary guy. And he makes a point of making a point that it's just an ordinary guy. And friends, this is really important because, and listen to me here, especially us in the Pentecostal charismatic background, we tend to tie answered prayers to the person who is praying. We say, oh, that person is special. I need to have pastor pray for me. I've had people from other churches in other states contact me because I'd prayed for them in the past and God miraculously healed them and they contacted me and wanted me to drive to another state to pray for them and I'm like, you got a pastor? Well, no, but when you prayed for me, God healed me. I was like, it had nothing to do with me at all. That's the point of Elijah here. God listens to them, we think, but not me. But James is trying to say, listen, he was just an ordinary man. God's not listening to him. It's not the case. Elijah, because they're different, Elijah was just an ordinary guy. He had no superpowers. He had no special supernatural abilities. In fact, he was so ordinary that in spite of having just prayed down fire from heaven and defeating 850 prophets of Baal and praying for a three and a half year old drought to end, when he was threatened by wicked King Jezebel, he runs and he hides and he fears um, for his life. He's in such a state of depression and anxiety that he prays that he would die. He was just an ordinary guy with fears and insecurities like every one of you and me in this room. 
the great answers to prayer were not the result of him being great, but about God being great. God's the one who made it rain. God's the one who consumed the offering with fire. God's the one who raised the boy from the dead. It wasn't Elijah. God is great. Elijah was ordinary. So, look at the person next to you and say, you're just kind of ordinary. (laughs) Some of you would say you're extraordinary, and you are in some ways. But we're all just normal people. And Elijah was just a normal guy. He was just ordinary. No, that leads us to the next point about how come this ordinary guy saw such extraordinary results when he prayed. And I believe the second point we're going to talk about right here is the main key. I believe this is the key to effective prayer. It's really the most important thing as we look through this. It's a building. One builds on the next. And it's this one. In prayer, Elijah listened. He listened. Years ago, I discovered this point about Elijah in his story, and it totally changed how I pray. Throughout the entire story about Elijah, and matter of fact, I recommend this afternoon, take your Bible to those, those three chapters in Kings, 1 Kings, and read them. You're going to see throughout the entire story, um, there's this common thread that runs through the whole thing. Unless you read it as a whole story, you don't really notice it. That everything miraculous that Elijah was part of, God had told him in advance to do it. God said do it, then he did it. God said pray for it, then he prayed for it. In every single thing that a miracle that Elijah was part of, go to the widow. God told him to do it first. Pray for it. God said to pray for this stuff, and he prayed for it, and it didn't happen. God said tell Ahab it's not going to rain. So Elijah goes and follows and says, well, guess what? It's not going to rain. He prayed for it not to rain. God said to bring together the 850 prophets of Baal and the Asherah and pray for fire. It says God said to do it, and he went and he prayed, and it happened. He stood in front of kings and he stood in front of people and he prayed with boldness and he prayed with boldness because he prayed to already God had already told him to pray for. God said to find Ahab and say it's going to rain and he told Ahab, but guess what? Um, it's going to rain. God, he did it. The key was that he listened to God first. God told him his will, and he prayed according to the will of God. He did not act presumptuously. And that's what we have a tendency to do so often. We act presumptuously. He he didn't make up this idea. You know what I think? I think it would make a lot of sense if I just got all the prophets of Baal on top of the mountain, and I prayed for fire to come down, and fire comes down on my, my sacrifice, and then we kill them all. Might sound like a good plan. But if it wasn't God's plan, it was a bad plan. That wasn't Elijah's plan. It wasn't his idea. God is the one who told him to do that. And then he prayed accordingly, did what God told him to do. Church, this idea that Elijah, we see revealed in the life of Elijah, where he heard first and then he prayed accordingly, this only happens when we cultivate a life with God where we are learning to listen in prayer first. Matter of fact, more of my prayer time now is spent listening than it's ever spent asking. Because I'm not sure what God wants in situations. Hearing God's voice first comes from an ongoing connectedness with God. 
It comes from having a life where we are tuned into God, where we live by a rhythm of spending time with God and being with Him in silence and asking Him to speak to us through His Word as we meditate on His Word that's written to us. Elijah lived in union with God, so when God wanted to speak, he was there to hear. So Elijah was this ordinary guy who lived his life with the goal of being aware and connected with God, and in that life of communion, co-union, God spoke. So he's ordinary, he listened, and now I really believe something. God is trying to speak to all of us all the time. But you say, I don't hear from God. I think it's just simple. We are otherwise occupied almost all the time. There's always noise. There's always distraction. You can't go to the bathroom without your cell phone. You can't. I don't want you to raise your hands, but you can't. You know how many cell phones I have found in bathrooms? I have found like, I think, three different smartphones in bathrooms on the toilet paper dispenser. You know why? You're saying, where's mine? So, you know what? Because people are on the phone the whole time. They just set it down and they forget they've set it down. Here's the deal. We're otherwise occupied all the time. We turn on the TV every minute of our life. We, we have music on, the radio's on. There's always noise all the time. We're otherwise occupied. We're never just sitting with God. And do you know how I know this is true? That if we weren't otherwise occupied, we would hear from God? You know how I know it's true? Some of you just in the last couple months sent your kids to Bible camp. And they came home and they said things like this to you, or at least they said it to the counselors who were there. Oh, when I was at camp, I really felt God speak to me. When I was at camp, um, I felt called into ministry. When I was at camp, I felt God saying, He wanted to fill me with His Spirit. When I was at camp, I felt God saying, I have a plan for your life. Is that because camp is special? It's not. There's nothing, there's nothing that goes on there that doesn't go on here every single week. It's that we set everything else aside for five days. We send our kids to camp. We make space for God to speak. And then we hear that he is speaking. You know, us, I know it's true. In a little while, a bunch of you men are going to go on our silent prayer retreat. And here's what's going to happen. Pastor Pete, I can guarantee you if I brought you up, you'd say this happens every time. Silent prayer retreats. Guys go away and they go, oh my goodness, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. He told me this about my marriage. He told me this about my life. He told me this about that. This verse came alive and now it's, it's, a, it's an anchor for my life. And they walk away and they go, that was, a, it was miraculous. Friends, all it was is you made room for God to speak. That's all it was. There's nothing magical about the structure. There's nothing magical about the location. You simply made room for God to speak. You weren't otherwise occupied. And God spoke. Because God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into existence. He, sent him, he came himself to us to speak into our lives as Jesus. I know it works because life shows me it works. Set aside an hour on Saturday morning and, and sit in silence with the Lord instead of doing one of the 40 things on your fun or your to-do list. And meditate on God's word. Just take a small portion that's 
stands out to you and just meditate on it. Spend an hour and just in quiet in the presence of the Lord, shut the door, no one else around, and guess what happens? Suddenly, word of God, speak. Let it fall down like rain. That's what happens because we're making space for God to speak, and when we make space for God to speak, we hear. God is talking. We need to learn to listen before we ask. But you know what's easier in prayer? Let's just come together. We never spend five minutes trying to hear God's voice. Let's just ask him for a bunch of stuff because it makes sense to us that God would act in a certain way. Well, that might not be God's way at all. He may want to have you get this 850 prophets of Baal on top of a mountain and, and challenge, a, challenge them to see whose God brings fire from heaven. But that only happens as you listen first. God is talking. We need to learn to listen before we ask. And then this then, friends, leads us to our final point. And it's vitally important. When Elijah heard, then he obeyed. What he, he was an ordinary guy who listened for God to speak. But that wasn't good enough. You say, okay, I just listened for God to speak. Here's where it becomes shoe leather time. Put your, put your life into it. Then he did what God told him to do. God says to Elijah, an ordinary guy, don't forget that, gather all the prophets of Baal and the Asherah and challenge them to a God-off. Now, don't laugh at me, but people have dance-offs. I laugh at that stuff. They have, they have rap-offs. This is the first one. They had a God-off. It would say, my God's better than your God. I'm going to challenge my God. My God's going to challenge your God. And that's what they did. You think that this ordinary man was scared? 850 against one and all, almost all the rest of the prophets of God had been killed, except some had been hidden in caves. A hundred had been hidden in caves. Most of them were dead because of Jezebel. And I'm going to challenge your God face to face, me, you know, me against 850. You think that he was scared? Absolutely he was scared. He was shaking in his boots when he did it. What if God didn't show up? What if the same thing happened? He knew that the, the prophets of Baal are going to dance around and cut themselves and shout and nothing's going to happen. But what if he did the same thing and nothing happened? They would kill him. He would have been the one executed in that moment. But what did he do? He obeyed. Friends, understand this. And this is key when, you, when we understand how prayer is effective. Oftentimes... We are part of the answer. God lives in the world through people. We have this nebulous idea that the Holy Spirit's out there doing it. No, God uses ravens. He didn't have the Holy Spirit bring bread to Elijah. He used something that was alive. God's activity in the world is, is tied to us. And oftentimes we are part of the answer that God gives to a person in prayer. So we have to be involved in the activity. One time, when we were planting a church, and we were absolutely flat broke, didn't have a dollar to our name, and our van broke down, our transmission was shot, we had absolutely no money, I refused to borrow any money, we're going to drive it, and I think I probably told you, well, there's a pass, I was mad, I challenged God, I'm like, I'm going to drive this thing until it blows up, never would shift out of first gear. Just drove it for two weeks in first gear. I'm like, I'm going to blow this thing up. I was mad. I'm like, I'm serving you with all I've got. And I'm trying to live by the principles you gave me and I'm trying to plant this church. And I get a phone call. 
And a guy asked me, a guy was completely unaware of my situation, is your car broken? And I said, yes. More like this, yes. And he said, good. <laughs> good. You know, this is a Job's comforter. Good. I'm broke. My car's broken. Good. I'm glad, Mark, your car's broken. I'm like, what do you mean, good? He said, God woke me up last night and told me to buy you a car. What kind of car do you want? I said, what? He said, God woke me up last night, told me to buy you a car. What kind of car do you want? That man knew absolutely nothing of my situation, but God knew my situation. And he used the obedience of another person to bring an, a miraculous answer to a prayer. Friends, here's the principle. He heard, but then he had to make a choice. Am I going to obey? Elijah models for us, he heard and he obeyed. And understand, a lot of times obeying is not easy. Because obeying might cost you something. It could have cost Elijah his life. It did cost Jesus his life. Jesus obeyed the Father's plan, and it cost him his life. He heard, and he obeyed. Often when we pray, and others pray, we are part of the answer to prayer. We have to obey what God tells us in order for miracles to happen. He, we're tied to it. Elijah could have refused to obey, and the story would have turned out a whole lot differently. Who knows what would have happened? All of Israel would have died through drought. Who knows? Starvation. I don't know. But he listened and he obeyed. He was an ordinary man who lived with a listening ear toward God and obeyed when God spoke. You want to know how, he's a how come he had effective prayer? That right there. Three parts. He was an ordinary man who lived with a listening ear toward God and obeyed when God spoke. Now think of this. Great things happened that way. Which of those three things is any one of us incapable of doing? Who is ordinary? I'm ridiculously ordinary. And I'm not afraid to say it. We have a world today that wants everybody to be a superstar. I'm just an ordinary guy, and so are you. Which of us can learn to listen? It's not natural, can learn to listen. Some of you can't, I see, okay. The rest of us can learn to listen. You might not want to listen, you don't want to listen because you like your life the way it is, but your life is not at all what God wants it to be. God's got something so much better, but you go, but this is good enough. That's like um, C.S. Lewis says, that's the little boy who's satisfied um, playing in the mud um, on the, in, the, in the ghetto because he doesn't know what a holiday at the ocean is like. We settle, we, settle, we settle for this, for mediocrity. God has something more. But we have to learn to listen, which means cultivating a lifestyle of a rhythm with God where we're spending time in alone with God, in silence with God, and meditating on His Word and opening our hearts to the disciplines of the church to say, here's things that I can do to open myself to the available presence of the Spirit all the time. For some of you, what it means to, you need to learn to listen. And this is not a sales pitch, this is for you. Because whether I teach four people or 40 people, doesn't matter. You need to be in a class on Wednesday night in the Good and Beautiful God series that's going to teach you how to live by the, how to create a rhythm in your life to be a listener. 
You know what it's not? It's not just giving you more facts and information. It's helping you learn to listen. Some of you before that, you need to be in the classes that come before that, the Purple Book. You think you know about God's Word, but you've got to learn the basics, re- maybe relearn some of them. So we're ordinary people. We can all learn to listen. And who in here can obey when God speaks? So none of them take great ability. None of them take great re- none of them take resources beyond what you have because God would never ask you to give something you didn't have. And all that you have, he gave to you anyways. It's not really yours, even though your name's on it. It's his. Your abilities, your talents, your resources, they're all God's. They're things that all of us can do. All yeses. Friends, imagine with me for just a minute what we would see God do if we lived like Elijah. Imagine what would happen in our community, in your families, if we lived like Elijah. We were just ordinary people who lived with listening ears towards God and hearts of obedience that when God said do it, we do it. Imagine what God would do. Now maybe you're here today and God has been speaking to you about something, but you have been resisting obeying. My challenge to you today is make a deal with God. A deal is a covenant. Make a covenant with God that says, Lord, I'm going to obey you. When you speak, I'm going to obey. And Lord, in this area of my life that I think you're speaking to me about, I'm going to choose to obey even though it's scary. And then watch God do miracles that are way beyond you or me. Maybe you're here today and you've been living like one of those false prophets. No, you're not necessarily chopping up animals and putting them on an altar, but you know this, you're living a life that is opposed to God. You know you're not walking with God, but you know you need to be. And you put yourself in a circumstance today where you made space to hear from God. You could have went fishing this morning. You could have went to the motorcycle race this morning at Harley. Harley. You could have went camping this morning, but you didn't. You made the choice to make space for God. And God's speaking to you right now. And he's calling you to himself. Choose to obey. Say yes to God. Let's stand together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. Word of God, speak. You speak to us through your word. You show us that you are real and alive and you want to be relevant and resident in our lives. And this morning, you showed us that there's a way to live that's a way of of power, of supernaturalness, where you flow through us, just ordinary people. And so, Lord, this is what I ask for our church family. Would you help us learn how to listen to you? Help us be willing to, to silence the world around us set time aside regularly every day just a rhythm of saying I want to just connect with the Lord so that I can hear His voice and then God we need the courage 
that comes from that indwelling presence of your presence by the Spirit to obey to do things that are beyond ourselves and are risk taking and they're edgy and they're not about being self guarded and self promoting and self protecting but they're somehow about giving away and reaching out in ways that would be we could be part of miracles because then Lord we get to be the people like Elijah that say man I I listened I heard and I obeyed and God did the impossible through me God that's my prayer for every person in this place that we'd experience the divine we wouldn't settle for mediocrity we'd exciting lives walking with you now friends if the Lord has spoken to you in any ways today you say you know what I need to uh I need to do some business with God. I encourage you, come and find a place to pray. Leave your chair, find a place at the altar to pray. Pray at your seat if you want. If you need to talk to someone about stuff pertaining to this, you say, I need to ask Christ in my life. I'll be up front, Pastor. Mitch is up front. Come and talk to us. Let us pray with you and explain things. Then when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Go hang out with people out in the cafe, but in here we're just going to have a place for people to spend some time talking and mainly listening to God. So God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, and I pray now, God, that you'd continue to speak to us so that our lives could be transformed by your presence. In Jesus' name.